Hello, everyone, and welcome to this webinar on cash management in volatile times. My name is Sarah Rundell, and I'm part of Treasury Today's editorial team. I'm joined today by Leo Gill, Vice President of Product at Bottom Line Technologies, joining from Boston, Charles Bennett, Head of Commercial Product at Bottom Line, and Kevin Grant, Bottom Line's Head of Corporate Solutions. Welcome, everyone. Treasury's cash operation is an unsung hero. Few people in the wider business tend to know about it or want to know about it. But if it breaks down, the impact is profound. Successful cash management is hugely dependent on smooth collections and payments, something bottom line technologies know all about. The financial technology company is focused on helping businesses pay and get paid, making complex business payments simple, smart and secure, and has developed expertise in things like automating entire AP cycles, financing messaging flows and using AI to detect fraud. The goal of today's session is to discuss the current challenges and recent changes in cash management and the best tools to support companies effectively manage their cash and collections. The session will be recorded and the on-demand version will be available to view on our TT website shortly. We will also endeavour to answer your questions throughout the discussion, so please send them in via the Q&A function, uh, not the chat function. So before we get into the session, we'd like to start with a quick live poll of audience pain points when it comes to cash management, uh, which should be visible on your screen now. The question is, what are your business's key pain points around collections and payments? Cash forecasting, cash visibility, regulatory and compliance issues, fraud and risk management, or domestic and international payments? So if we just give it a few minutes, or a few, a few seconds, sorry, and then we will gather the results. So there we have it. It's 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 cash forecasting <laughs> um, that um, is is the key pain point. So so let's address the the background to to that and and the other issues in that poll. Um, turning to you first, Kevin, could you perhaps start off by discussing some of the macro challenges corporates are facing in the current climate and how it manifests in a cash management context? Yes, uh, thank you, Sarah. So interestingly, I'm, I'm just measuring a 30-year experience in, in this sort of space. And guess what? Forecasting was a problem 30 years ago, and forecasting is a problem today. I think, though, technology has advanced, where we really should be trying to challenge ourselves to fix that problem. You know, if you go back to the 80s, 90s, you can, you can see that we were a cash society. There's a lot of check processing went on, and we've moved into more debit, crad, debit card and credit card. Uh, as our international business has expanded. And really, I think for now, you know, we're looking at standardised messaging in terms of bank communication. But really, the as we've globalised our supply chains, as we've globalised our e-commerce, we have to start thinking more about different payment methods and perhaps the cost of the different payment methods and looking for ways of collecting faster and paying faster. And that may not be common to you know, most studies of working capital management, but in an era of low interest rates, there could be more advantages to be had by paying key suppliers sooner, perhaps offering them or extracting a discount on the invoice value and getting a higher return on your excess cash than merely leaving it sitting in a, a negative or a low interest bank account. Mm -hmm. So that would be my sort of uh, opening comments as to why these challenges around understanding where your cash is, it's global now rather than local, understanding where your customers are, they're global, not local, thinking about uh, those different uh, challenges you may have in identifying who you're paying and identifying who you're receiving from and making sure that you minimise uh, refunds and uh, minimise any kind of, let's say, undesirable purchasing behaviour uh, that you're held accountable to by your regulators. Yeah, yeah. And Leo, in terms of those trends that, that Kevin's described, could you maybe talk about how companies are responding to the climate in their cash management strategies around forecasting and, and, and pursuing outstanding payments? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, as, as Kevin said, there are quite a lot of changes uh, happening in the market, and they're quite rapid, right? So, 
what they've done is they really put pressure on finance teams to accelerate their digital transformation stories. Um, you know, it's it's really as simple as that, right? So, um, you know, the challenges with that, of course, is how can you get a centralized view of all your data and how can you automate all of your systems in order to be able to provide, uh, you know, the answers that finance teams are being more and more challenged to provide internally in their companies. You know, we like to say here, bottom line, is the connected finance office where uh, your finance teams are, you know, not just part of a, um, you know, part of the organization, but they are really embedded into the entire inner workings of the organization to help the organizations uh, uh, go through these changes uh, in a market. So, you know, the the, the big challenges as, as the poll uh, actually answered was on forecasting, right? Is how can uh, companies accurately uh, forecast um, knowing that there are a lot of changes happening in the market um, and a lot of changes happening to their customers and, and suppliers uh, where it becomes really difficult to do uh, to perform all of these tasks in a manual in a manual way. Um, so you know, it's really that the strategy comes down to combining all of the data in one place and be able to automate that data in order to um, to respond better to market changes. So mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for us as we see as we work with our clients, um, that's really the key. That's really the key challenges in an area that we've been working quite heavily with them um, across the globe. Yeah, yeah. And Charles, what are what are your thoughts on this? And and maybe you could talk a little bit about how the pandemics changed the payments landscape positively and negatively. For example, around the disappearance of cash and digitization trends and and data availability and 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 also fraud. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Sarah. It's it's a topic I could talk a great deal about. Um, you know, with with thousands of customers all over the world and working in a product team, we have access to to see these trends and insights. So I'll, I'll do my best to summarize it into three three key areas as I see them. So if we think about what happened in the pandemic, uh, and actually it's still rolling on as we move through this period of economic uncertainty, I, I see three key trends. The first one was all about keeping the show on the road uh, in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, secondly, uh, moving into driving greater efficiency and automation to, to Leo's point a few seconds ago. And then thirdly, to your point, Sarah, security uh, and control. So I'll cover each one of those uh, very briefly. Uh, so we talked about, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, it really was uh, hand to mouth, keeping the show on the road. We had to run uh, small, medium uh, and international businesses from our kitchens, from our front rooms, from our conservatories, which required a lot of um, personal adaption, but then the businesses needed to adapt as well. So uh, the biggest thing we saw there was keeping the show on the road. So if you were sending out a lot of paper payments, as many, many businesses do all over the world in the form of checks, you know, I can't get into my office to get my checks signed off by my boss. So what do I do? I've got to keep the show on the road. So we had a lot of companies approaching us, asking them to help digitize payments. And so Leo mentioned that, you mentioned that, Sarah. We definitely saw the pandemic as a way of accelerating that digitization of payments, trying to move away from paper. And the driver was keeping the show on the road. Uh, We saw a lot of businesses also moving online, again, trying to keep their businesses um, automated and running from their front rooms and their kitchens. So we saw a big increase, uh, especially in collections, as you might uh, be, you know, no surprise, Keeping cash coming in the door, part of that visibility and uh, forecasting was was even more important. So companies automating their cash collection. uh, And as as we saw in the pandemic, there was an increase in in late payers and defaulting payers. So how do you automate that uh, to manage that process when everyone's spread out across different nations working from home? So first of all, I said it was keeping the show on the road. What we've then seen is that trend, everyone's got used to that, we're all working in a hybrid model now. What we're now seeing is that ongoing drive for efficiency and even greater automation. Now driven by this this, uh, economic uncertainty, you know, I don't know many businesses that aren't trying to save money at this point in time, and that comes from automation and efficiency. So definitely continued digitization of payments. Definitely continued automation, especially around uh, collections, uh, again, even more increasing late payment types. But actually, on um, an innovation perspective, we're seeing many companies now embracing new payment types. So buy now, pay later has certainly shot through the roof. I saw an announcement this morning saying buy now, fly later, (laughs) travel companies. So we're seeing an ever new way of trying to find new ways to make it easier for customers to pay. We've got to keep growing our businesses despite the economic uncertainty. 
One of those good examples of um, uh, new payment types is open banking in the UK. So we're seeing that as a very cost-effective alternative to more traditional payment rails like cards. But we're also seeing, to, to Leo's point, around um, cash statements, cash visibility and forecasting, open banking, some great efficiencies around reconciliation. Because what it does is it hard codes a transaction reference number, which means no more lost payments, no more payments sat in suspense, which obviously makes for better forecasting. So that is one of the big changes around embracing new payment types. <laughs> Lastly, I talked about security and control. So it'll be no surprise uh, as personal consumers, but also corporates, we've all been attacked at a far greater rate by fraudsters uh, leveraging you know, all our fear and uncertainty in the pandemic and ongoing economic climate. So businesses uh, who've been successful in defeating that have taken a lot more services around uh, bank account verification, uh, business and, and uh, personal consumer verification. So that's the way they've fought fraud uh, in the UK, obviously also launch of a thing called confirmation of payee, uh, which has um, applied an even greater degree of confidence around validating that who you're about to pay is the right person to help you try and stop fraud and error before it's too late. And once it leaves your business, uh, we did a, a payments barometer survey in a huge proportion of companies find it very hard to claw back that money once it's gone. So putting in that last line of defense, as I call it, is even more important. And lastly, under security control, lots of companies we've seen are centralizing their payments activity. You may have heard an expression around payments factories or payments hub. If you have multiple payment rails across many different domestic and international cross-border flavors, um, a lot of companies now are trying to move that into one way of working, one central pipe, uh, rationalizing the number of suppliers, it gives you much greater control over your payments, greater visibility for cash forecasting, greater control for fraud and error management. So, so those are the three types, three trends I've seen, keeping the share on the road, uh, driving that automation efficiency, and then that ever-present security and control. So hopefully that's a good flavor, Sarah, in, in the time mm. we'd love to talk more on here, other people's thoughts in yeah. the Q&A section. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you've described a sort of landscape there of winners and losers, uh, uh, companies that are able to take advantage of the current climate and, and others that are struggling. Would you agree with that? And maybe a few thoughts there. And, and then, Leo, could you take that that point forward? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, the, as Charles was saying, the pandemic has forced um, a lot of companies to respond a lot, a lot more you know, quickly than they are used to. A lot of finance teams have been elevated to a lot more strategic roles in their organizations, which were where they weren't before, right? So, um, you know, the ability to um, to to be able to uh, have answers to their companies and uh, into what you know what are the challenges they are facing today or they'll be facing in the in the future in this uncertain future, knowing that you're customers might be going through the same challenges um, as you are, um, ha has been, you know, has really forced them to, um, to automate um, their processes and, um, and, and try to collect all of the, their information in one place, where cash visibility is key, right? So being able to know where's all of your cash across all of your banks, across all of your accounts globally uh, in real time, um, it, it's you know, it's uh, it's surprisingly it's still a challenge to many companies um, as we see it out today in a market. Um, but that's really where it starts, um, and that's where where a lot of companies uh, who are who have gone through the pandemic su successfully have been able to um, to get to that right or work towards um, it in a more agile way. Um, and you know the companies who haven't, um, you know, are probably still struggling today um, with all of these with all of the challenges as we're, um, we're still seeing, um, you know, co the continuation of, um, of the, the results of the, the pandemic today. Mm -hmm. Is that elevation of finance teams to, to a more strategic role? Is that something that you're, you're all seeing? Have, have you got any thoughts on that, Kevin? Yeah, I think, I, I would say even before the pandemic, we've, and before the financial crisis, we were starting to see the role of, of Treasury to be asked to manage KPIs around collections, around DSO and around payments, DPO. And I think, you know, to mirror my earlier comments, it was a bit collect faster and pay slower. 
and let's use that to you know free up cash for our business which and of course every business needs to free up cash um and with that outreach from treasury if you like they've become much more interested and uh, i'm pleased to say achieving visibility and clarity of data that i've always been striving for you know you can talk about having macro information and receiving it once a quarter it's not good enough today you need detailed information and you need it intraday so what we what we work on in, in bottom line here is the security around that cash and what it means is can you trust that you can use it so we with our collections processes have technology which will reach out and prompt to pay uh, pay by link uh, and that's not necessarily you know we can we can um, remove credit cards from that process as well so in the world of open banking that Charles was talking to um, when we are uh, looking at uh, payments, we've got capabilities to do confirmation of payees. So you know that the, the not just a business confirmation of bank account ownership, but at a personal level, we've got capabilities that will real time check that the money you're receiving, check that the money you're paying is, is secure. And there, therefore, when you're um, intertwined and, and joined up in such a way uh, that you can observe high quantities of data of high quality uh, in real almost real-time fashion then you really are in a position that the data you've got can drive informed decision making which i think is really important so well, the problems that many of our customers talk to us about and most likely is from the cash forecasting there's no visibility and the lack of visibility comes from fragmented uh, technology platforms or indeed if you have a common back-end technology platform most commonly referred to as erp uh, there may be some differences in processes within different finance functions, business units remotely that, that, that are not lending itself to, to the need for consumption of high quality data and high frequency levels. But they play out in different ways. You know, in the, in the, in the UK market in particular and in Europe, we're seeing a lot more um, through the open banking standards, ways of disrupting uh, traditional payment and collection methods. In North America, where checks are still very much prevalent, we're seeing a big drive towards digitization there also. Uh, and with, with bottom line, we have a, a, a PayModex network of suppliers and buyers that we are building out and uh, you know, we're, we're seeing fantastic traction in that. So for me, it's um, you know, technology innovation creates disruption. You can either embrace that disruption or you can be intimidated by it. And I would I would like everyone to embrace it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Leo, any anything you'd like to, to to take forward there on this whole idea of the technology tools companies have to support their cash management? Um, and maybe, you know, how is it possible to set up an effective cash management solution that's also simple? And um, maybe you could set the scene by explaining why TMS might not always be suitable. Oh, yes, for sure. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting how um, how companies respond to the, their digital transformation, right? And in a lot of ways, you have one end of the spectrum where companies are investing their in own internal systems and building their own solutions or cobbling pieces together of their ERPs and uh, spreadsheets and internal systems. And then you have on the other end of the spectrum, companies who are going through, uh, you know, a, a pretty big investment on implementing large treasury management systems, right? Which have, you know, very long implementation cycles are very costly, not just financially, but also resources inside the company, um, you know, until you can actually start seeing value. Um, so what we see is um, in, in where we work with our customers in, is in the middle, right? Is being able to present to come up with a balanced approach where you can start automating your processes along the way. And of course, starting with visibility, then as you start with visibility, you start adding on to the other uh, automations you can do in your finance teams from forecasting to reconciliation and so on uh, in order to, um, to you know, uh, sort of see value along the way uh, of your journey. Um, so that's where, that's where we see the in the, the most successful companies looking at it today in, in that lens is, uh, you know, not trying to do a, a one big bang approach uh, where you have to go through a massive implementation or process re-engineering um, re inside your company. Um, 
So, you know, it's, you know, it, it's really, um, uh, you know, think about tools and, and capabilities. It's, it's a wide spectrum today of, uh, of what, of how companies are doing, but I can tell you the more successful ones are being very pragmatic um, in, you know, in their digital transformation journey um, and seeing value. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great point, Leo. And, and really the connect, connectedness and connectivity, I think are key pieces to that, right? You know, we, we want to be that, um, well, you're the product guy, but you know, I know what you're doing and the great thoughts you have around that are around, okay, how can we, okay, APIs are out there. Everyone talks about APIs as being some panacea, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, it's a two-way interface, right? And it's got to be secure and it's, it's better if it's simple um, and it's better for the standardizations. But we know that's, uh, that's Kevin having, uh, you know, uh, nirvana moment there the real world is different from that so i would say that um you know what you've what you and the team have done really well is actually creating that uh, bottom line cloud uh, making it open um taking advantage of the many years of connectedness we've had globally and now we're layering on customer tools to help with that cash forecasting and and comparison to forecast and comparisons to actuals and and also some of the things that get me most excited is when you start talking about you know some of the um, the business intelligence and and AI pieces that that we we talk about as well. But I think to you know ground us again in this discussion, you know we've got experience of taking customers on that early step change, which brings business benefit. Um, and we can then they can we can grow our footprint and services to them, and they get greater value working with with us as a trusted partner. So I think that for me, connectedness is is something that we are now really monetizing uh, within the global infrastructure of payments and collections that bottom line is synonymous with. Mm -hmm. Charles, anything you'd like to add here around the yeah this particular part of the conversation? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. I, I think data and intelligence, we, we touched on it briefly, but for me, this is the big change, especially when the payments coming in and out. Um, they give off, payments give off a lot of data exhaust, as it were, and we, and we typically sort of park that data on the shelf. And um, what we've found is really powerful is actually looking into those insights and, and understanding how we can use those and turn that data into actually actionable insights to help better inform cash forecasting and visibility, as Leo talked about. And there's many tools that let us do that. So the more data you see, the more we can uh, aggregate that and draw out benchmarking insights aggregated to share with customers to help them see how they're doing against their peer group. So that's been really powerful uh, to, to apply our machine learning and, and AI tools to that data. Um, also, the more we're embracing real-time payments and things like open banking globally, um, especially around open banking data, we can use those tools to access more data more readily and then use that to better inform our cash forecasting, cash management. So, um, you know, coming at it from a, a how can we best inform cash forecasting and, and management from a payments lens, the, 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 the flow in and out of the cash cycle, um, I, I think that's a huge, huge opportunity where we're certainly investing a lot of time is that intelligence, machine learning and aggregating that data to provide benchmarking because in this uh, economic climate you know greater insights as to how your business is doing versus your peer group or even companies in other sectors it's amazing what you can learn when you cross-pollinate learnings across different business divisions and sectors and and we love having those sort of conversations and, and you know it's a really very helpful way so uh, that's I think what I would, would comment there about the data intelligence piece it, it's a massive mine of untapped insights uh, and decision-making. Mm -hmm. And brings nicely back to that strategic treasury role. Yeah. Definitely. So um, maybe at this point, we'll have a, another audience poll to check um, your thoughts on cash management. The question is, is your cash management data fast enough and of good enough quality to inform decision-making? And that's yes, no, or not sure. And then if we gather those results, um, uh, it's sort of mixed bag, but but yes. <laughs> so what's it, what were the percentages <laughs> on looking the like? Whole, so 43% so, so said yes. Oh, no, oh, oh, actually, no, sorry. It's just adjusted again. 40, it's, it's actually split equal between yes and no with 14% not sure. Okay, okay. Okay, what's that tell you, Kevin? <laughs> 
<laughs> what it do you tells mean? Fifty percent trust and embrace that the processes are great, and uh, the remainder are cynical or half face some you know, mm. real challenges. <clears throat> so I guess what we didn't do is maybe break that out into time time horizons. I think we're all very good at short-term cash forecasting. We know what's in our AP and AR system. Uh, I like to think about that. You know, I like to split things into, it's okay, we know our opening balance today. We've got a projected close. We can track intraday movements across our bank accounts. We can layer on AP and AR information somewhere, higher probability, um, maybe out to 120 days. And then from 120 days out to the, to the one-year horizon, we're really starting to look at, you know, uh, assets and liabilities and and cash trapped in inventory and trying to maximize make sure that we've got cash to keep the lights on in our business right we all know that um so i think where where you'll probably see a it depends the roles of the people in the audience i think if you're short-term focused i think you've probably got data uh, access um, and frequency that would satisfy your needs i think when you start to look further out they start to try and navigate um, outside of your accounts payable and receivable, um, interest rate movements, will, which will affect FX movements. If you think about uh, geopolitical challenges and risks that may interrupt supply chains or, or customer uh, purchasing behaviour, um, you know, they really are becoming uncertain. Um, and you probably want to rely more on the people in your business who've got that experience perhaps whether through other uh, seismic events in the past but ultimately you you need to have a um, a greater tolerance for error mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially in today's terms and what and what does that then mean that then means that you probably hold cash more it means you probably secure uh, lending facilities just in case um, and it means that you are as an organization, uh, and even within the domestic markets, people are feeling um, the need to rein in discretionary spending um, and you know, make sure that you are relevant to your customer community and that you maintain strong customer relationships. So you know, that, that plays nicely into what I was mentioning earlier about key supplier relationships. You don't want to starve them. Maybe they're a small an SME. Maybe you can use your credit rating to extend, uh, you know, uh, extend your credit worthiness to them, and some of that falls into dynamic discounting or into supply chain finance type solutions. If we move into that that side of things, but we we hear customers saying to us, you know, give us a tool so we can capture. We want a consistent tool. We want it to be a system because we want to track people's usage of that tool. We want to able to audit their updates to that tool. Um, and we want to then understand the, the tolerances that we have to operate within based on the outcome, the actuals of the forecast we're receiving, because we can all forecast mm-hmm. with greater certainty what's going to be in our bank accounts tomorrow. But ask me what's going to be there in 12 months time. I've got a few more challenges to come up with an answer. Yeah. And is it is it 12 months that how far ahead should should you forecast? Typically for corporates, they're, they're looking to a 12 month horizon, you know, they're looking, but it's a rolling 12 months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, okay, we may do a PL snapshot, you know, 12 month period. Um, but, you know, our organizations are saying, oh, continually, you know, looking at short term, what did we forecast 12 months ago that happened yesterday? And how did we track towards that actual, did we see it or was it something we didn't see? Let's look at that and plays into machine learning because. Yeah, as humans, we're a little bit 2D in the way we, we approach things, right? And we're not very good at high data computation. That's why we rely on data analysts and data models to, to support us. But with anything, you know, be careful in, in artificial intelligence if we want to use that term, um, because it can be, you need to be able to trust the results. So run it in parallel with the paper and pen process, if I can call it that, mm-hmm. and benchmark uh, and tweak it so that you can then begin to trust it before mm-hmm. doing Yeah, yeah. Leo, what are your thoughts on on this whole um, quality and speed of data yeah, discussion? No, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting um, where, uh, you know, just add to what, what Kevin said, um, there are a number of companies who have the ability to obtain that information, right? Um, the question um, is at what cost and at what 
rate of effectiveness, right? In in a lot of ways, what we see working with a lot of our company, our customers, is um, it takes a long time, right? You have multiple systems you have to log into in order to pull the information, or you have to make significant investments um, in software internally or with really big tools externally in order to be able to pull that information in real time. So um, I think it's it's still a big challenge, um, you know, and, and, and yes, uh, treasurers and, and uh, cash managers in some ways, you know, have answers that they can get at that information. Others, of course, answer that they don't trust the data or they cannot get at the data. Um, but I, I would, I would, um, I would look at it as you know, as what cost and and how effective are you? Um, and can you again, you know, can you as you're doing the out of the day-to-day work and the day-to-day tasks you have in order to be able to have visibility and forecasting, can you actually help your organization and in that more strategic role which you're being uh, pushed um, and forced um, to be at? Charles, would you like to dive in with any thoughts here? Yeah, of course. And um, I I think that poll was fascinating, uh, but perhaps not altogether unsurprising because I think another question I'd love to have asked is, for all those that um, felt comfortable, are you using a spreadsheet or not? And I think that would be an extra angle, It'd be really interesting because I think the reason I'm not surprised by the result is that um, when we speak to many customers, um, those that have embraced automation and digitization have fared better since the pandemic and the economic uncertainty. Those that are still putting perhaps an over-reliance on spreadsheets are the ones that are struggling. And I think if I look forward in, in our product roles, that's what we you know what we what we do. We look forward a year, two, maybe three years in our crystal balls. I think the challenge of cash forecasting and cash management is only going to go one way, and it's only going to get harder. And that's because there's a greater proliferation of payment types. So you've got many more flavors and more payment rails to try and uh, digest and get your head around. But also payments are getting faster. If we think about the digitization of checks, you know, checks is a pretty slow process. You've got plenty of time to know from the point you send it out of the out of the building to the point it's cashed in. You've got time to to forecast that. The more we move to digitization of payments, that could go from five to seven days to, to, to three days to real time payments, which I know are very, very steep growth curves in many different territories of people listening in today. That is going to place a huge, you know, can your spreadsheet keep up with real-time payments? I'd, I'd be, you know, sort of raising a few eyebrows and love to have a, a, a conversations about this as we often do around the office. That for me is where the challenge comes. So if you're thinking about, can I can I manage today? Maybe just about, um, but those that are thinking they can manage today, you know, lots of our customers are saying, well, I'm looking ahead. And I'm seeing that the change in payments, the greater amounts of data available in the payment load, the payment packet, you know, spreadsheet, I'm going to lose out on information, but also I'm going to really struggle. My spreadsheet is going to start grinding to a halt. Um, And therefore, they're starting to drop a few pebbles and a few ponds to create those ripples and bring about that change. Because most people know change takes a while to put in place, as Kevin alluded to. So um, many of our customers are starting now. To get mm-hmm. get it right, because this this uncertainty and this change in rates and all the different ways of making payments is only going to stay very fast paced and, and a great deal of change as we go through lots of more regulatory change. So the more we can automate, the more it lets you focus on you know the business's core focus and less about you know the administrative burden that comes with cash management and cash forecasting. Yeah, yeah. And is the need to forecast um, now greater than it was during the pandemic, in your opinion? Is 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 the this macro environment and all the volatility out there? Is that it, it, is is it even more necessary now to forecast than it it was in the pandemic, which was pretty volatile? <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll take that one first. I'd love mm. to hear Leo's thoughts as well. The answer for me is a very simple yes, and that's not just mm. my opinion, Sarah. That's what I hear when I sit across the table from many customers, as I really enjoy doing, asking them, what's keeping you awake at night? What are your pain points? And, and pretty much all of them say, how can you make it easier for me to collect payments, uh, especially late payers, which are on the increase, uh, but also how can you make it easier? You know, how can I ditch the spreadsheet, as one person said to me the other day, which, which is a really nice way of surmising the challenge. I don't know, Leo, you've got some additional thoughts on that one as well. 
Oh, yes, for sure. I mean, not just the pandemic, but the supply chain issues we've had and, you know, and currently are going through and all of the changes, you know, in, in the world have really forced companies to um, invest and look, you know, deeply into their forecasting practices. Um, and again, it's not just knowing their own internal balances and accounts and but it's also understanding their customers right that's 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 you know part of that strategic role of the of the finance team uh, you know it's understanding what your customers are going through and planning for uh you know a potential delay in payments but you know um would you have customers that potentially are not going to pay as 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 they have been in the past but you know, you still want to retain them as customers. You want to still want to maintain a good customer uh, customer relationship. So it's you know, it's those, those are are the challenges there are key that go beyond you know just the the typical way in which uh, treasury teams and finance teams have been forecasting. Um, you know, just understanding their own companies, the investments they're making in product and technology, uh, potential acquisitions that their companies are making or divestiture. So uh, you go any broader, broader uh, I think the pandemic and, and the, the current climate actually broadens a lot more uh, what forecasting is um, than, than what we've had before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. So this may be a good juncture to, to, to get a broad sense of the role of financial technology in supporting corporates and their cash management. Um, how's that role growing and, and how's the relationship between financial technology groups like Bottom Line and corporates changing? I don't know, Kevin, could you could you kick that one off? Oh, Kevin, I think you're on mute. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I was, yeah. was behaving well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I think it's better to have failure and know why you failed in business yeah. than the failure you can't explain. So, as we were chatting earlier, it was like if you fail to prepare for the stormy day, then prepare to fail when the stormy day comes, right? So, it's not just about what invoices have we sent for services or products that we've sold that we expect to receive payment from. It's not just about payments we expect to make for services we, we take. It's actually getting in the helicopter a little bit and taking that macro view and saying, okay, based on what's going on in the world, how exposed are we to utility companies? How exposed are we to um, breakfast cereals or animal feeds? You know, some of the companies mm -hmm. who are attending here are predominant in the, the global um, uh, animal supplies industry when you have you know political geopolitical tensions and risks or you have a weather frontage that wasn't anticipated that knocks out rice supplies globally those are the kind of things that i really i think we we're, we're kind of alluding to here when we talk it's about not just the uh, what have we bought when are we paying for it what have we sold when are we going to receive the money you know that's important because we've got the we, we've got the fingertip solutions that will actually allow you to collect when the normal means of collection has failed. And what I mean by that is, is that um, you know, a check you've received doesn't clear in North America. If you're expecting direct deb debit collections and they fail, what do you do about it, right? So we've got technology that actually will then step in and prompt the, the payer to find an alternative means of paying. Do they want to pay a partial amount, partial payment, direct debit doesn't allow for that unless we maybe move into variable recurring payments, but that's Charles's area, not mine. But, uh, you know, if you push push someone who's failed to make a direct debit payment to you and give them the opportunity to make a one-off payment for a lower amount at their discretion, we're hearing customers say we prefer that and have the whole amount outstanding. Mm. So, that, so that's, that's where I think, um, you know, the technology that we're talking about today is a, is um is providing uh, a little bit more of a which perhaps actually saying okay certain customer cohorts certain industry verticals certain geographical locations that would allow you to actually take a um a wider perspective when you're looking at the risks of of receiving and doing goods with those companies as well so you know we still have customers who continue to sell to bad payers why are we doing that? Doesn't make any sense, right? Capture that data, understanding your your exposure to them, and stop the salespeople selling. Seems logical, but quite often we we work with customers who don't have joined joined up and connected processes, and stop that kind of behavior. 
Isn't that quite a hard decision, though, to to axe a customer because because they're then you get into discussions about key customer accounts and then you put higher cost of serving place as a supplier. You dedicate people to keep close. Um, so there's lots of mitigation mm. processes mm. that you can put in place, but it all comes at a cost for the supplier um, at a time when suppliers are trying to digitize, automate and r- remove the, the risk of people becoming a bottleneck or the risk of people leaking information and making mistakes. Um, um, and, and I'm not saying that computer algorithms can be programmed incorrectly and will make mistakes and make mistakes quicker. So coming back to that, you know, quite often here in my business day, trust the data. I'm a little bit more cynical than that. It's like, you know, use the data as an input, but use common sense and use other uh, inputs to actually benchmark whether you think the data you're receiving is reflective of normal customer behavior, reflective of what you would expect based on the macroeconomic environment or geopolitical environment that's going on. Common sense at the end of the day should tell you um, Mm. if something feels right or not. And you should have a process in place as imperfect as it is that will allow you then to interrogate and review and play back on, on what decisions were made, why, so that you can become informed about future decisions you will make. Mm-hmm. So data is enabling a much closer relationship between you guys and, and the company, essentially. Yeah. Any Anything Leo or Charles would like to add there? Um, yeah, no, I'll jump in. Um, yes, you know, in our, um, you know, bottom line, our heritage is payments, right? We've been um, working with um, companies and banks globally for many years. And, um, you know, we are, uh, you know, the, the one of the, if not the world leaders, world's leader in payments, uh, B2B payments globally, right? So, um, you know, we see that that's, that's what um, our, our role has has been, um, you know, started as working with companies on payments, but, um, you know, as the more, um, the more we engage with clients, the more we see and, and work upstream from payments into, into our cash management capabilities, um, you know, that actually help them get to, um, to a better cash visibility um, and be able to make decisions faster, right? So, um, so to summarize, you know, what, um, what Kevin was saying is, you know, in, in uh, in a way, that's that's what we see our role is, is to be a strategic partner um, to corporates um, around the globe today um, to really help them uh, navigate these these challenges and um, mm-hmm. that they're all going through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So before, I'd like to now just go to a few of the questions that we've had coming in. Um, so Charles, I'm thinking that this is one for you. <laughs> what are the key changes coming down the line regarding payments and how will they impact corporate cash management strategies? Oh my goodness. Uh, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, 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 I'll try and summarize that. That's a good question. I love that question. Um, yeah. It's me. So, okay. Two or three things. Uh, first of all is regulation, uh, which isn't always on. It's a constant in the world of payments and cash management and treasury. So, much greater regulation. Uh, I've already talked about open banking globally, the growth of open banking uh, from both the data and the making payments. That's not going to go away. That's only going to increase. And that brings many more uh, innovative opportunities. Um, also, the growth of the ISO 222, um, especially in, in the um, you know, cross-border uh, treasury space, I think is, is fantastic news. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to bring obviously regulatory change. You know, how do you navigate that change? But then, how do you also set your business up to actually benefit from the innovation it brings? So, insulate me from the from the uh, the pain of uh, you know embracing these new regulatory changes. So, remove the pain, but bring me all the innovation. Bring me the benefits of it. Uh, and so, those are the, the the big changes. So, new payment types, the regulatory changes. Um, so I think that's a big thing. And, and you know, you asked the question, how how bottom line helping corporates? I think that's a really good example. If you work with a cloud provider in a way Leo was saying, you know, as a trusted advisor, you get access to all the benefits, but you get all the pain taken away because it's cloud based and we can deal with that. So, so that's one of the, the comments there. So big changes, the regulatory, you know, that's not going to go. It's only going to get more increased. That brings positive change and negative change. 
find someone who can help you navigate that, you know, remove the pain, but, but embrace the gain. Um, I do think payments are going to get much faster, uh, stating the obvious. And that means we've got to think differently around how we uh, cash forecast, how we manage cash, but also from a fraud perspective. The faster it gets, the more you have to put in the flow of the payments in a more near real time way to, to alert you to fraud and error. So um, hopefully that's not a bad yeah. answer to what I think is a great question and probably would be uh, best well, served with a good bottle of wine because I could discuss that one for hours. Well, well yeah, it's a very effective summary. Thank you very much. And um, next question that's come in, um, I'm guessing this is you, Leo, but please... Um, anyone else jump in which would the first steps you reckon what are the first steps you'd recommend uh, we take to automate our cash management process that's great um that's a great question um i think really um if there's one thing to take away from from um from what we're saying and which uh, falls really nicely with this question is um, there has to be a little mindset shift in the finance teams today where they need to be more agile and look at, you know, finding value and building confidence internally um, along the way, right? So um, I think that really the first step is to really prioritize simplicity and usability over features and functions, right? Is is It's that, is, uh, you know, starting from visibility, like, you know, in the practical example, right? We, um, today at Bottom Line, we have um, a lot of customers and, and uh, we encourage them to, you know, leverage our SWIFT capabilities where we can pull all of your account balances and accounts across your hundreds of banks and hundreds of accounts in one place in a matter of weeks, mm -hmm. right? So being able to, you know, in, a, in an agile way, incrementally see value, build confidence, um, you know, instead of going through a massive long implementation or pro or process re-engineering inside your company is to really, you know, change that, right? And and uh, and look at look at how we're how can we quickly um you know starting with start with cash visibility, get all of my account balances and cash in one place um, as a first step. Then you build on, then you know, your liquidity management, forecasting, reconciliation, payments, right? So sort of as you're as you're as you're uh going through the journey, you're getting, you know, you're starting with with cash visibility, then you're building on and adding your internal processes and um, you know, things like, you know. Effects or trade finance as you as you progress, um, but again to summarize, I would say uh, you know look at the first step right. So do the first step well um, and 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 move on on that on that journey in a very pragmatic uh, pragmatic way. Mm -hmm. Oh, brilliant! Thanks, Leo. Wonderful. So um, just before we wind up, um, Kevin, <laughs> one for you. <laughs> Um, how do we justify investments to automate our finance teams while faced with all the market challenges you mentioned at the beginning? Yeah, it's a costly business, isn't it? And how do you balance that cost? Oh, Kevin, I think I think you're on mute. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. I won't make the third mistake because we'll finish the webinar. Mm -hmm. then, yeah. But uh, so I think it's... I think it's important for each company to look at its own circumstance and make its own judgments. There is, yes, uh, a cost justification on taking people out of the process and putting automated tools in place. However, I would caution that you wouldn't want to put automated tools in the area where there's a level of expertise and oversight and historical you know, trend analysis, seasonality, if you like, in the person, rather than seasonality that's a model. But there are things that we can improve on, you know, to link into what Leo was saying. You know, there are many finance departments who have got multiple banking terminals for the banking statement uploads each day, or sorry, downloads or payment processing. You can, you can replace that using tools where you can... Uh, use the, the bottom line cloud as an aggregation tool. So you remove the cost and the burden of maintaining those disparate bank systems. You still maintain those bank relationships, but you have one channel, one funnel. Um, that has cost reductions, which are not necessarily uh, related to taking headcount out of your department. 
However, if you then look into reconcile those statements against what you anticipated going through your bank account yesterday through APAR, treasury payments, whatever, we've got those tools which are, uh, are simple in terms of the functionality, but they're very capable in terms of the volume of information they can process. Uh, you know, millions of transactions can be processed and reconciled. You cannot do that without an army of people um, to the same level of efficiency. So therefore, there's an obvious statement there that, you know, you can take people away from doing manual processes and ask them to move into more value-adding um, analytical observational type tasks that provide insight to management rather than just doing repetitive manual processes. So, you know, that's just a simple example, but we've got, you know, many areas where we're looking to try and reduce our customers' cost to serve, whether it's B2B or whether it's B2C. We are automation experts. We are payment experts. And we prevent uh, errors at the point of consumption, money in, and the point of uh, money going out of your business as well. Um, and and we, we think that is unique uh, in that it's not just about a tool that shoots off to a black box and the black box does what it does and then information goes back a day later or a couple of hours later. This is a real-time connected global payments infrastructure with cyber fraud and risk management capabilities that uh, we, we can talk to our customers about, but it's the customer's decision at the end of the day, what are they ready to consume? what are their highest priorities, and we work with them to, to give them uh, business, business benefit as quickly as possible, addressing their key requirements. Mm. Oh, thank you so much. Um, well, with that, I'd like to draw this webinar to a close and, and, and thank all our speakers. Um, Bottom Line Technologies, Charles, Charles Bennett, Leo Gill, and Kevin Grant. I'm Sarah Rundell, and a recorded version of this webinar will be available on Treasury Today's website shortly. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.